right now in tech radio, like buses, two of the most anticipated tech events of the year have both arrived this week. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RT Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. Our show this week is brought to you in association with Fit.ie, a fast track into information technology apprenticeship program, which is great for companies. We'll tell you more about that a little later. For now, you're welcome to episode number 998, almost at our landmark episode 1000. We've got a big special lineup for that, and I hope you join us for it, which you can hear at the first Friday in January. For now, though, let's get on with this week's episode. Uh, We're talking about threads. We're arriving in Europe. Uh, We find out about the most popular searches for the year and also what the EU is about to do with AI. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Joining me, as always, is our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. Now, Niall, your Twitter guy, uh, Threads is now has arrived, is coming to Ireland. I say that because at the time of recording, it's kind of just coming today. We haven't actually got on it yet, all right? So let me just ask, firstly, do you think Threads is going to be the X killer? Well, I mean, X is doing a fine job of killing itself at the moment. Uh, I mean, it really is a right-wing cesspit uh, as we speak. Uh, The whole idea of getting rid of moderation, amplifying uh, anyone that has bothered to fork out $8 a month for a blue tick, um, and the reinstatement of accounts like um, Donald Trump. And yesterday, uh, as we record this, uh, Alex Jones of InfoWars fame, uh, also of having to pay more than, I think it's one and a half billion dollars to the Mm -hmm. relatives of children killed during the Sandy Hook massacre because he put out on his, you know, very, um, very popular platform that uh, this tragic event was a false flag operation, that it was, it didn't happen, Mm. uh, leading to an awful lot of heartache and harassment uh, of the parents of the murdered children. And, you know, when Jones got banned from, at the time, Twitter, um, there was an awful lot of kind of, well, of course he should have been. You know, how did he, how did he manage to stay on the platform for this long? You know, was the level of engagement and the size of his readership or the size of his followership enough to justify keeping the guy around in the hope that, you know, he would bring enough eyeballs to interest advertisers? Twitter at the time decided he wasn't worth the the effort. Uh, Elon Musk and his free speech absolutism policy, if you'd call it that, decided that, no, 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 come back, come back, it's cool. It's decisions like that that make alternatives to X all the more um, attractive. And um, I think looking at the comparative failure, I suppose, of Mastodon um, and Blue Sky, this idea of Web3 and the Fediverse um, just doesn't seem to cut it with people. However, 
if you've got people on an existing platform that they're familiar with, that they're happy with, um, why not introduce these new features? And that's basically what Threads is. Now, it's effectively, you know, Twitter as it was in the rare old times, but it comes with a built-in fan base or built-in user base uh, of Facebook. Instagram has been trying similar things for, for a good while um, with some success. But because it's a meta product, it comes with the various meta flaws that come with it. Top of the list being tracking of users, cross-sites, uh, so that people can have better targeted ads served up to them. Does this work? Well, in Europe, it certainly didn't. Uh, it didn't pass muster under GDPR. Now, apparently, a decision has been reached where we can actually have um, threads. So, and it took four months to come up with some kind of solution. Not entirely sure what it is. Uh, maybe it's a matter of processing information within the EU and not sending information abroad to the US where it gets processed under much less stringent standards. And um, so Threads is coming. It had a really good start in the States mm -hmm. in July. Then millions dropped off after two weeks when they realized, you know, we don't actually like Twitter in the first place. Why are we using this other thing? So <laughs> do I have hope for, for Threads? Well, yes and no. I think there's a certain car crash uh, quality to mm. X that people kind of enjoy. I mean, X is full of nut jobs and journalists. Let's be honest. And, um, and there's very little difference between the two, might I say. Very little difference. <laughs> and I, I'm saying that as a member of the NUJ, you know? <laughs> I uh, I think it's interesting because it's, Threads came along and everybody jumped on it to see what it's like. So it had like a, a something like 100 million users within the first five days, which is the kind of success that chat uh, GPT had. Um, but then 80% of people have kind of fallen off it afterwards. As you say, they kind of go, well, you know, the X is a bit rubbish. Why, why are we having the, the pretender to the throne, so to speak? So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I just think it's interesting how Elon has made such a, for me, it's a marketing thing, right? So Elon has made such a mess of Twitter, formerly known as X, X, so I would see the way around, isn't it? Um, Yet, when a competitor comes along, X is still the winner. It's, it, and I think that says kind of more about us as human beings and the length of laziness that we go to to not change. Laziness is the word, Dusty. That's it. So listen, uh, let me just ask you, because you are on Twitter. Are yeah. you going to jump on uh, threads over the weekend and see what it's I, like? I, well, I, I'll have a look at what it's like. I really have no interest in joining another microblogging platform. Mm. I went on Mastodon and mm. I have a much nicer uh, community of people to engage with. Mm. Uh, do I use it? Not, not really. Possibly because people are really nice in the first place. <laughs> Well, that's because you're a nut job. Right. Thank Let's you. get on with the uh, the uh, the EU, because this is the other big story of the, the week in that they have finally come out and they've said that they are going to regulate AI. Now, the headlines, I think, are a little misleading because it looks like they've brought out the AI Act. But my understanding is that, no, they haven't. What they've done is we've agreed the framework for the AI Act and we need to work out the details. Is that correct? 
Yeah, well, we talked uh, quite a bit about the AI Act earlier this year. There, there are some great interviews uh, in our back catalogue d- done with it. I think Brian McElligot mm. uh, outlined things really, really well. Yeah. What the EU is doing is taking a risk-based approach, which is really smart on many levels because it gives you this sort of flexibility to decide what something is and isn't, right? So Mm -hmm. they have things divided into four uh, broad tiers, if you will. So they say minimal or no risk. So, you know, there's, there's, things can just continue without regulation. And that could be something as simple as, you know, a program that manages user email. I mean, there's no, there's no risk there whatsoever. Mm. Then they go into what they call limited risks. Mm. Then they move up to high risk. And then they look at things like unacceptable risk, which, which they categorize as what they say, cognitive manipulation, predictive policing, emotion recognition in workplaces and schools, social scoring, mm-hmm. uh, and certain more remote biometric identification systems, uh, which, you know, it sounds a bit jargony. Um, but importantly under, the, under this, all of them will be banned, but with limited exceptions. And ah. the, those three words are really important because mm. it was France, Germany, and Italy uh, objected to, you know, the blanket banning uh, of those um, services with unacceptable risks, everything within that tier. And they managed to successfully argue that, look, there are limited exceptions. And in particular, you have to look at national security. Security and national security. Those are the two big things that, you know yeah. what, you have to look at things. I mean, for example, what is the big, um, uh, I suppose, new measure being used in the investigation of the recent Dublin riots, right? Uh, what did we hear? Facial recognition, using facial AI recognition. in facial recognition, yes. Exactly, yes. Uh, a blanket use of uh, facial recognition We'll get everybody involved, never mind the fact that people had their faces covered. Mm. Um, I say that with a small amount of derision. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but these are the kind of exceptions that the EU has gone, okay, fair enough. We, mm. we'll, we'll put in this slightly uh, flexible term with limited exceptions. Those exceptions might you know, change over time as new technologies arrive. Mm. Uh, but for the moment, we've still got our risk-based system uh, with a, a little bit of a get-out clause for something that is, you know, particularly contentious or controversial. Mm. I think this is probably as good as it was going to get. Um, and it still maintains the overall integrity of the act. Um, you know, the goal is to come up with um, what the EU called human-centric AI, So Mm. it's sort of making sure that AI is a tool for people as opposed to something that becomes, you know, um, uh, what's the word? Something that becomes a controlling influence, something that becomes a punitive influence. You Mm. know, this keeps the the person at the center of AI management and regulation. So is it a good thing? Yeah. Will it be as good as GDPR? I think, of course, that remains to be seen. Um, But in general, I think this is a good move. And I think that a degree of flexibility uh, is certainly warranted. Definitely a good move. Though I find it funny that all of the things that you listed as unacceptable 
are all the kind of things that a government would do. Yes. And then you added in with uh, acceptable, except in limited circumstances. It's well, like, that's it. Yeah. All right. Anyway, listen, we'll watch and we'll see how that one uh, develops. I think that's going to be one of the, the more interesting uh, uh, legal uh, things in 2024. Uh, let's move on to other things because I want to find out what were the most popular searches in Ireland, of course, uh, this year. But first, uh, a little buy and sell story. Um, not that anyone in Ireland is going to be buying a Tesla Cybertruck, but if they did and they go, Peh, I don't like it, will they be able to sell it? Well, there's a very important reason why you won't be able to get a Tesla Cybertruck over here, because they don't meet uh, European safety uh, standards. If Hang you on a minute. What do you mean they don't meet European safety standards? I've seen videos of this Tesla Cybertruck being rammed into a wall at 140 miles an hour and, you know, everybody survived. Well, the crash yeah. test dummies survived. <laughs> yeah, crash test dummies got whipped around the place. If they were humans, probably suffered severe neck injuries. Yeah. And people will not be crashing into walls. They'll be crashing into other cars. And you can be fairly sure that those lovely sharp edges on the front will absolutely plow into anything they come into contact with. Again, the point, also, the, yeah, the there's point no crumple is- zones on the thing. Yeah. The point being is that the Cybertruck is almost like a, a, an indestructible kind of a vehicle. That's what they're they're selling it as. So how come it doesn't pass European safety? Is it European safety as in this car is a danger to other cars? Is that the, the, the kind of this, way? This car is a danger to pedestrians and anyone that yeah. isn't in another Cybertruck, uh, basically. I mean, if you think we're heading towards an apocalyptic future, uh, by all means, fork out $120,000 for a Cybertruck uh, yep. if you have that kind of money. Yeah. Um, if you're a normal human being, uh, you don't need it. I mean, I remember during the um, during a presentation about Cybertruck, Elon Musk said, uh, you know, if you get into an accident with another uh, vehicle, you will win. It's like, there's no winners in a car accident. <laughs> What are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah, yeah. you Most will be responsible for somebody suffering serious injuries or dying, you know? Well True. done. This, this entire podcast, all, all I can th- think of is a picture of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. Because everything that was in that movie from whatever it was, 30 years ago or something like that, yeah. is like happening now. It's like AI is taking over, threat to humanity, things that are unacceptable, uh, cyber trucks that are indestructible. Da, 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 it's, it's, it's quite an amazing time we, we, we live in. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention on buy or sell just very quickly, if you're mm. looking for a last minute Christmas gift, man, you are leaving it to last minute. Um, Amazon are doing a special on their Blink cameras if you want to mess around with some security cameras at home. And the one I got this a couple of weeks ago, I'm just messing with it. Um, it's a deal where you get an, one outdoor camera and one indoor camera, 50 euro. For the lot, which is quite good. It's something like a 60% off or something like that. Even after the Black Friday sale uh, has finished, they're still continuing at at that price. Um, I don't know how long they're going to be selling these Blink cameras for. Blink or you'll miss it. Oh, I'd be worried about it. Yes, indeed. You, you were working um, on that one for a while. Uh, yeah, well, not too long. Uh, 50 euro if you want to buy it from uh, Amazon Germany or 45 pounds if you want to buy it from amazon.co.uk. Now, uh, before the most popular Google searches, some Google stories, uh, we have the Epic Games thing. Epic took Google to court and they were saying basically that Google are forcing us to pay 30% of what we charge people 
in fees for using their Play Store. Uh, this is not right. What do you think, Mr. Judge? We have a result. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, Epic Games, of, uh, of course, of Fortnite fame. Uh, they make an awful lot of money through, uh, you know, uh, in, in-game in purchases. Yeah. Uh, or if they had to use uh, the App Store, the Google Play Store, um, in-app purchases, of course, uh, with which Google takes a chunk of, as you said there, 30%. Yeah. Um, now, Epic Games is a huge company. So um, it's a very different situation to a guy uh, working on his own who has come up with a nice app that solves a problem, puts it up on the app store, makes a little bit of money off it, hopefully gets scooped up by a much bigger company. Mm. Um, maybe his app gets sold on to somebody else who goes on and makes an awful lot of money with it. I mean, the majority of apps don't make a lot of money. Now, however, here comes Epic Games, a company that does make an awful lot of money and is like, well, you know, we're not, uh, we're not some chump here. We, we are responsible for an awful lot of money. All our money is made through our own ecosystem. Why should we have to cut you in just because we have to be up on your on your platform, uh, we have no alternative. Uh, if we want to get uh, on the Google Play Store, your terms are unwieldy, uh, to say the least. So we want to uh, we're going to take you to court mm. because we reckon you've got a bit of a monopoly when it comes to Android um, app stores. Because but if that, you get an Android it. phone, that's that's it. That's you the have one to you get have. your stuff on the place, and it's the same with uh, Apple. If you want to get something, you have to get it from the uh, the Apple App Store. Yeah, they yeah. equally charge a ridiculous thirty percent. I believe, and Apple are are going to get their day in court on this exact same case. So, ah. here's the thing: uh, a judge has ruled in favor of Epic Games, has agreed that um, uh, App Google Play is a monopoly. And therefore, you're going to have to, well, maybe not pony up, but certainly release Epic uh, from the terms of this uh, standard deal, which Mm. also potentially opens things up for developers everywhere to get out of that 30% to developers deal. uh, Sorry, 30% fee to developers. It's crazy. A 30% Mm. fee just for sales is just crazy in any circumstance. Mm. any circumstance whatsoever like you know so uh so i'm delighted that epic won but of course um google will will appeal it because they can <laughs> they will they, appeal it even and if they didn't believe in an appeal they would still appeal it because mm. they can <laughs> well i think google have a little bit of wiggle room on this mm. because there are third party app stores out there for android devices mm. now you have to go looking for them Uh, You have to download them. You have to go through Mm. this entire process. Um, They're not preloaded on your phone. You might end up seeing a case where, as with browsers, when we log on from our PC for the first time, the way Mm. that the default browser used to be Internet Explorer, and that was it. Now you log on and it's like, okay, which browser would you like to use? We might well see a case where, you open the Google Play Store for the first time and you get a choice of, do you want to continue with Google Play or do you want to try any of these third-party app stores? Look, they come with their own issues. 
Maybe we might see that in the future. Uh, but for now, uh, it looks like, uh, you know, it's good news for Epic, bad news for Google. Now, uh, also on Google, uh, just a, a small side note uh, with our Maps app, they're going to allow you now to store your location history on your phone, not in the cloud. So it's just there on your device, which is nice. And then the other uh, Google News, actually, Niall Kitson mm-hmm. of you know, techcentral.ie with all the tech news for the country. I have a bone to pick with you about a story that ran during the week about Google killing their podcast app. Yeah, I thought you'd find that interesting. Makes Yeah, yeah, yeah. You made it sound like Google were just pulling out of podcasting altogether uh, and killing their app and it's all a, a load of pants, which is not true. I just want to put the record straight. And I hope that you will rewrite the article and all future <laughs> articles will take this into account. Uh, basically, what Google is, they had a podcasting app and it was a bit of a standalone thing. Um, and uh, they are, yes, indeed, they're getting rid of it. But what they're doing is they're moving all of their podcasting stuff into their YouTube music app. And YouTube music now is becoming more and more like uh, Spotify in that it will do music. It does music as well as Spotify and it does podcasting as well. And it's a huge draw for these apps because podcasting essentially is free content for Spotify and YouTube music, et cetera, and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. And our very own Tech Radio podcast will be available on YouTube and YouTube Music app uh, starting in January. So there we go. Yeah. Right. Now consider yourself um, corrected. Let's get on to the last story of the day. And that is uh, the most popular things of the year. And actually mentioning Spotify. Spotify have been doing Unwrapped for a number of years and it's like the end of the year. Hey, it's Christmas. Here's your Spotify Unwrapped. And it'll play on the words with uh, Christmas and the things that you've been listening to. Everybody is doing Unwrapped now. I don't know how many emails I've got from from various people saying, oh, here's your here's your electricity bill Unwrapped mm. <laughs> or something. So everybody's using the same thing. Um, um, anyway, we are at the end of the year and it's always a good time to look at the most popular searches of 2023. What has Ireland been searching for online? Yeah, kind of some surprises, some not. And an awful lot of why is this in the position it's in, right? So, for example, the top searched for movie this year in Ireland was Oppenheimer. Okay, um, yeah. And why not? Great movie. Uh, number two was Barbie. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it, but I mean, we had Barbie Heimer during the uh, during summer. So mm-hmm. I guess it's pretty good. Number three, Banshees of Inisherin. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Number four, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which won Best Picture, wow. but is an Great Amazon movie. production. So yeah. I haven't been able to see it yet. <laughs> Even though I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I haven't, you know, I don't want to give Amazon my money. Um, and then followed by Guardians of the Galaxy 3, uh, The Menu, which seemed to tap into some sort of um, zeitgeisty feeling anyway. Um, mm-hmm. The Sound of Freedom, which I have no interest in. And then down the bottom, it's uh, Avatar 2 Mission Impossible 7, which I think is a, a, a real underperformance, similar uh, oh, to what yeah. happened at the box office. Yeah. And then uh, Cocaine Bear. <laughs> oh, Cocaine Bear, what a movie! Oh man, it's it's everything a bad movie should be. It's it's fantastic. All right, what are the searches then? What are the kinds of things we'll be looking for? Okay, well let's let's look over to the tech sector because hey, we seem to we seem to be interested in tech, aren't we? Um, top of the list. Uh, give me a guess. Oh, X. No, ChatGPT. 
Ah, of course, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Follow, although the things you mentioned that should be on the top of the list mm-hmm. aren't. Like there's no mention of Twitter, no mention of X. Um, second on the list is Timu, followed by Quartal, followed mm-hmm. by Connections. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you're halfway down the list before you hit iPhone. So it's iPhone 15, uh, character AI. Um, I suppose people looking into, into gaming on that one. Hogwarts yeah. Legacy. I mean, you know, Harry Potter isn't going anywhere. Wordle. And then down the bottom, uh, nine and 10, Threads and Global. I think it makes sense because a lot of those things are newish. And you're mm. going to search for uh, things that you want to find out about because you don't have the information. Whereas we all know and love, we all know Twitter <laughs> <laughs> and X. Why would you look it up? So that's tech. What else uh, related to, to tech have you got? Uh, well, I mean, here's something vaguely interesting under the how-tos. Uh, mm. One of the top how-tos of the year was how to get Spotify DJ. Uh, which is the AI generated DJ, isn't it? I mean, you're you're slightly more familiar with that than I am. No, no, don't know about it. I'll, I'll be Google searching it later. Go on. Okay. Halfway down the list is how to block someone on TikTok. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, and just above it, how to get Instagram wrapped. Oh, goodness. There you go. You see? All right. Okay. What about, uh, have we got any, what news stories were, uh, um, were top of the list? Do you have that? New stories. Well, yeah, we, we, we have an interesting sort of people of the year and, uh, and a what is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, going through the people of the year, uh, down the bottom, Gary Lineker, because uh, he had his Twitter troubles this year. Um, oh, yes. Just before that is Jeremy Renner. Why? Was he up to something this year? I don't, I, oh, yes, yes. He got in a bad accident and he was in a coma for a while. Ah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he had a terrible time this year. Okay. Um, Above him, David Beckham. Yeah, that's fine. He had a very popular documentary on uh, mm-hmm. Netflix. On Actually, Netflix, yeah. uh, part of this um, trend of celebrities getting out there and getting their own documentaries made about themselves, kind of getting ahead of their stories. So, you know, if someone mm-hmm. has something they really don't want to talk about, do you know what? Make a really good documentary about yourself that just whitewashes the whole thing and get it up on a nice platform and hope to bury anything else that might come out in future. Um, well, that's I it, think yeah. uh, Taylor Swift did something very similar, didn't she? Um, now, I personally, she's so well managed. I doubt she is anything in her past bit beyond her dating history. Uh, and really, if that's the worst thing you have on somebody, uh, you're, you're really struggling for material. Um, Patrick Creelty, uh, down the bottom half of the of list course. as well. Yeah. Obvious reasons followed uh, just above him by DJ Carey. Again, a man that has been in the news an awful lot lately, former GAA yeah. player. Uh, top of the list, um, Russell Brand. Yeah, ah, of course. Earlier in the year, indeed, the uh, allegations. Yeah. Uh, a story that's going to run and run uh, on, you know, uh, pundit, conspiracy theorist, um, self-admitted uh, sex addict, um, all these other things. Uh, Are you talking about by- me? <laughs> oh. Russell Brand, yes. Russell Brand, uh, followed downwards by Hugh Edwards and Philip Schofield again, had his own troubles this year. Hugh Um, Edwards as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
It's and funny. that That's what I like about looking at these top searches because, I mean, it, it's kind of like we know, but it just reminds you of the big scandals of the stories or the trends of the year, like, you know. So, mm. uh, yeah. So, uh, so let's have a, a quick look at losses of the year. Who are people searching? Sinead O'Connor, Matthew Perry, Tina Turner, Shane McGowan, yeah. uh, Christy Dignam, Paula Grady, uh, Craig Breen, Ken Block, Lisa Marie Preg- Presley and Angus Cloud. Yep, right. that's the okay. entire list. Um, okay. So listen, yeah. we have we have time for one more category. So what are you going to choose? And what's oh left? my goodness, one, one more. more category. Oh my god, um, concentration on your face right now. Going, oh my god, there's so much good stuff. Okay, right. Let's have a look at the top TV shows of the year because I think ah. the top music kind of picked itself. Um, top TV shows of the year. Some of these I've gotten around to and some of these I haven't and I'm quite mm-hmm. looking forward to. Mm-hmm. So the top TV show of the year was The Last of Us, a very popular video game adaptation, uh, yep. very well received, confirmed mm-hmm. for another series. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was interesting in reading reading up the reviews of it was not just how it carried the look and the spirit of the game, but also how it replicated elements of the gameplay in it. So something would come up, uh, a small task that you have to complete in the game. And people are like, yes, that's exactly how you have to do it again. <laughs> Which I think is really interesting. It's something I haven't come across before. All right. Okay. Also in there is Welcome to Wrexham, which is the documentary on Disney Plus about how Ryan Reynolds and, um, oh, the chat from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, um, bought Wrexham FC and took mm-hmm. it from a, a, a little club that could all the way up to, I think they're in the Premier League now. Uh, then there's perennials like Love Ireland, Love Island. People are always talking about succession, uh, wrapped up this year. White Lotus, um, Mike White's uh, show about, um, uh, sort of a self-help community, isn't it? Um, then the night agent, Queen Charlotte, uh, Kin, RT's, uh, sole entry on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then wrapping up on J- Daisy Jones and the six. So there you go. That's what we were watching this year. Excellent. Thank you, Niall. Well, listen, we will be doing our own tech review of the year in the top uh, 10 tech stories specifically in our podcast next week. But for now, Niall, thanks for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Radio from techcentral.ie. Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. Over 450 companies across Ireland are finding huge success with a tech-focused apprenticeship program which helps grow tech teams and companies and builds diversity in the workplace. And that, of course, in turn sparks fresh thinking and energy and all kinds of good stuff. Financially as well, the company get to avoid high recruitment agency fees and there are state grants of up to €6,000 for each apprentice that the company takes on. Now, if this is something your own company uh, might be interested in, you can use it to, to free up some of your more experienced team members, uh, get a little fresh energy into your day-to-day tech team. Uh, check out FIT. It stands for Fast Track into Information Technology. It's an apprenticeship program. Their website is fit.ie and you get details in the description area of this podcast in your podcast app. It's not just the EU that has been working on a better way to do artificial intelligence. The AI Alliance is an open community which enables developers and researchers to accelerate responsible innovation in AI. One of the founding businesses is the global tech giant IBM. And Niall Kitson had a little chat with their Director of Research for Europe, the UK and Ireland, Dr Juan Bernabe Moreno, to find out more. 
Yeah, so Juan, tell us a little bit about what the AI Alliance is, um, because you've got an awful lot of people, uh, part of it, you've got 50 members uh, across industry, across academia. Um, It's a lot of voices in the room. So how does that happen? How do you manage to puddle together a group so disparate? So um, first of all, the, the AI Alliance is something very unique and very unprecedented, at least in this magnitude. And uh, I mean, I've been working in, in technology for 25, 30 years, and I've never witnessed something like that. Um, indeed, it wasn't, uh, so it's not immediate to put together this alliance, but uh, we were very surprised by how much um, people were interested from the very first uh, meeting conversation, right? Um, maybe to recap a bit what this AI Alliance is. So first of all, this AI Alliance is a, an international community of researchers, developers, and organizational leaders. And uh, this community shares two things, three things actually. One is like the commitment to support and enhance open innovation across AI. It's very important, the open innovation aspect across AI. Um, second is, we also share a common goal. And this common goal is to accelerate the progress, to improve safety, security, and trust. I think these, these three are very, very important, safety, security, and trust. And I will make a comment later, a bit later, about uh, why uh, open innovation um, is required from our point of view to improve uh, these three components, right? Uh, safety, security, and trust, and these components are critical. Um, but also uh, the common goal is to maximize the benefits uh, to people and so- society everywhere, right? It's like everywhere, everyone should be in a position of benefiting from this technology. Yeah. And then the third thing we share here in this community is to believe. So we really believe that open innovation is essential to develop um, and achieve a safe and responsible AI. I think that's, that's very important. It's a very kind of a a schematic definition of what the AI alliance is. But uh, I think what's also important is to, to put that in contraposition to actually the way that the AI has been shaping uh, so far in the last uh, year, meaning that, um, yeah, um, because of many reasons, right, um, we saw the power of foundation models in action. So um, every single day, every second day, we see new applications. We incorporate foundational models, language models of all, of all, of all, of all kinds in our routine, uh, in our enterprise use and so on. But what we see is like um, the way everything is developing is excluding, for example, partners or people or institutions, even academia, with uh, because of the uh, high entry barrier in terms of computing power, so without having um, you know lots of computing power, which is very very expensive, it's very difficult to to do something something meaningful, and uh, that's a, of course an entry barrier. The, there's another entry barrier is like the scarcity of um, of skills and engineering capabilities and and people with the right skills, and uh, they are kind of uh, very well allocated in particular parts, but not everywhere. Then uh, what happened in the last uh, in the last year as well, but we see some more and more started them. And as soon as we started seeing some of the flops in the in the output of some large language models, um, the art for regulating that uh, happened. Many voices, 
trying to really point out that uh, in the in the in the wrong hands, LLMs could be could be something that uh, could have a very very long lasting harm. Almost, right? And then um, also um, motivated by that, and more and more concerns, some sometimes um, um, exaggerated concerns about AI, started to really uh, push the debate about AI in a way that uh, you know um, companies, a few companies with a very close proprietary vision on how AI should uh, should develop, uh, uh, were a bit. Uh, you know, having the monopoly of this dialogue, and um, we don't think that uh, that uh, that should be uh, actually how we want to have the AI landscape shaping. And um, I think what's important as well is, if we go back to the definition, we talk about open innovation, right? And open innovation is in a way, um, well, a must, a must too, right? Um, why is that? <coughs> because if you think of um, of the variety of partners that we have there, as we have the creators of the most, uh, um, to, to put one example, right, the the most uh, varied uh, frameworks for AI so in the world, right. So we have the creators of uh, all the tooling for driving AI benchmarking, trust and validation metrics like MLPerf, LamaChain, LamaIndex, um, and Hanging Face. So the creators of the tooling for, for the AI benchmarking um, and for trust, for advancing trust, for validating the AI models, right? Uh, for adhering to best practices, they joined the alliance in an open spirit. Then right? we shouldn't forget that um, in, in the history um, a huge portion of innovations in technology is coming from research institutions and academia. And um, academia at present is, has a very hard time competing with, you know, close uh, environments uh, with, uh, you know, millions of uh, GPUs and computing power. So academia is a bit of uh, losing their edge in this close, uh, close environment. So it's very important also to embrace the power of uh, research done by the top one of the most, so many of the most prestigious institutions uh, worldwide in terms of academia. To name a few, right? So we have Imperial College, ETH. We have uh, also uh, the, the National Science Foundation in in US. So we are talking about big government, governmental institutions. We have uh, the Tokyo University. So we have uh, universities all over the places uh, adhering to this vision and uh, supporting this, this alliance. Who else we have there uh, preaching for open innovation? We have all the builders, so the important builders uh, of, the, of the AI infrastructure and hardware infrastructure to help us train and uh, work with AI models, right? Uh, with like Intel, AMD, so um, uh, and many others. And then last but not least, I think it's very important also to acknowledge that if we think of uh, how AI is made today, we always end up with a um, particular framework like PyTorch, like Transformers, Diffusers, Kubernetes, Ray, the hybrid phase is becoming understandable, right? The creators of these frameworks, they are all part of the alliance. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, last but not least, if we think of um, big uh, foundational models, large language models uh, like Naruto, like stable diffusions uh, for coding the star code or Bloom, right? They're also part of the, of the alliance. So if you think of uh, the, you know, the breadth and depth of the members, founding members of the alliance, is so you see really a huge, a huge um, 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 advocating um, ad advocating power from many, many, many diverse institutions, from academia, from industry, uh, from many countries, um, with this idea. And as I said before, um, even if putting, as you, as you rightly mentioned, right, putting this effort together uh, takes uh, a lot of time and a lot of discussions, the openness, the, how these companies res, uh, were opened to that and were kind of welcoming the idea of, of uh, building something together um, was very, very impressive. So we've never seen anything like that, right? And again, the dimension is like a few, a few big tech uh, in, in the west coast of the states. We are talking about uh, a worldwide scale, right? So it is very, very, very reassuring. One of the challenges I imagine you'll have to deal with uh, almost as a matter of urgency is something that companies around the world have discovered whenever they adopt big data, which is discovering that all data is not created equal. Some of it is, you know, well kept, some which is badly kept, some which is structured, some which is unstructured. To what extent does benchmarking and standardization play with a, an organization like the AI Alliance? Data has been and remains one of the key challenges when we build uh, AI models, right? The wrong data is, uh, is creating uh, a lot of issues and data on, right, when you use these models. Um, I think what's really important here is to understand and um, also to, to put the guardrails in place. And these guardrails in place, they really uh, touch each and every uh, stage in the creation uh, of the foundational models, right? Uh, starting with the data. One of the, of the key working areas of the Alliance is uh, to go beyond existing text data, right? Um, national language models, they are uh, overly text-based and so on. And uh, the, this technology, this uh, GNI technology, using transformers architecture, they can do, this technology can do way more. And uh, one of the things that the Alliance is going to be focusing on doing is like exploiting other modalities of data. Let me give you one example, right? Um, we've been working with NASA for, for, for a very long time, but last year we focused very much on training a large language, a large uh, foundational model, not on language, not on test, but uh, on Earth observation data. Uh, data being gathered by satellites like Landsat or Sentinel, right? Um, so when we talk about data and data curation, we want to really uh, go beyond with this alliance, the mere um, large language models based on language and a bit of code. We want to really exploit all kinds of modalities and uh, these modalities also together to really uh, offer the opportunity to advance science. Right? I gave you this example with NASA. There are, there are more examples, right? Like uh, for materials, discovery, also add partnerships uh, to create weather, uh, foundational models, weather and climate, also with us. So there are many, 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 uh, uh, so many modalities out there 
and uh, the variety of partnerships here or the variety of members will enable the exploiting of these modalities. So while we are going to have also the possibility and the opportunity and uh, we will set some standards and uh, create some tools for data curation, we're not going to limit the scope of here this alliance to just uh, uh, language. I think that is, is a very important point. One thing that I've noticed when it comes to fostering community, there's always the aspect of who is this community built for? Is it built for developers? Is it built for business people? There seems to be an element of what you're doing that is, I suppose you would call customer facing. That's about educating the public as well to be able to engage in these discussions. To what extent do you feel that kind of public outreach will contribute to the success of, uh, of the community? I think this educational aspect is, uh, is critical. Um, and educational, uh, a proper educational program um, needs to be open, right? Needs to really help people understand limitations, help people understand, uh, you know, um, best practices, uh, how to infuse trust and how to make sure that um, what you create um, is is governed in a proper way, right? Um, so education is one of the aspects that, uh, for sure, this uh, this uh, one of the of, of the key aspects that this uh, alliance is is pushing for. Um, education is very varied, so it has many facets. One is like obviously having said so many uh, high end academic institutions, we are talking about uh, the 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 next generation of um, potentially AI researchers. And uh, they need to grow their skills in the open, right? So that's one part of education. But also education means that uh, uh, we can help educate uh, policy makers. We can help educate uh, regulation or regulatory bodies um, with the spirit of um, the open and um, the openness that we, we preach for, right? And this education is going to probably inform a proper uh, way of tackling with some of the problems that we that we have on the table right, when it comes to, uh, to, to trustworthy, robust, uh, ethical um, use of uh, this new AI technology. So I would highlight these two aspects. Uh, and another thing that is very important when we talk about education. So education is there to help us uh, bridge the skills gap that we have. Um, these days, nobody can do everything on their own, right? We need partners. And uh, technology is touching each and every aspect of uh, each and every domain everywhere, right? And uh, we cannot just uh, be limited to the expertise that we have in a particular company or in a particular organism. I think it's very important also to embrace the joint collaboration and uh, putting experts together, right? For example, what I mentioned before, right? From NASA and from IBM. to work on this particular foundational models for, for climate or for earth observation data. I think um, it's not only upskilling, educating um, both the next generation of, uh, of researchers and, uh, and maybe informing some of the world truth bodies. It's also um, optimizing the skills that we have today, right? Uh, the experts working together and it's giving them a forum so that this collaboration can happen. 
Part of what's happening in the AI debate at the moment is the role of regulation, as you mentioned there. Uh, is it going to be a case of soft touch regulation and sort of assume that the industry is full of positive actors uh, or good good actors looking to advance the uh, the body of knowledge? But there is also a place for you know, state regulators, uh, EU regulation. Um, but of course, there is a sense at the moment that we're still learning the rules. We're still, to some extent, making it up. How do you re- respond to the AI's current risk-based uh, model of AI regulation? Do you think this is flexible enough to deal with some of the applications we might see coming down the road? Or, you know, should it be uh, a little bit stronger in terms of identifying specific uses of technology that uh, would become problematic fairly quickly? I mean, uh, I think what, um, if we look at uh, this, uh, the latest regulation um, news from the EU, right? First of all, um, it's a great step forward. To, to really kind of um, create the probably the first uh, global AI regulation that we have. Secondly, um, I think what's very positive, what we really welcome, is the focus on risk and accountability versus focusing on algorithms. I think that's that's uh, something that uh, we really appreciate. Right, and what's also clear is like um, in this uh, in this. Um, ecosystem of regulations and this ecosystem of companies, markets, uh, governments, they need to play a role. So they really need to play a very important role and for which, uh, what we said before, education is very, very important. But also what uh, was really important is to acknowledge uh, that um, you know, um, it's not only a government, it's not only a few companies. Uh, that's why um, regulations uh, fostering the open eco- um, collaboration, the, the, you know, the diverse ecosystem of players also helping by opening or by giving us access to, to particular tools and algorithms, helping the community to also, um, you know, validate particular policies and create it. I think it's very, very positive. The risk is when you have just uh, you know um, a close ecosystem with a few players, and then um, the regulation is rather based on licensing and not based on really uh, you know not fostering the, the openness, and uh, then even the the auditing, for example, of particular uh, particular policies becomes very 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 difficult. And that was Nal Kitson chatting with Dr. Juan Bernabe Moreno, the Director of Research for Europe, the UK and Ireland with IBM. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. We're back again next Friday here on the podcast and, of course, with RT Radio 1 Extra with our review of the year. In the meantime, do remember to share our podcast with a friend. Just tell them to look up Tech Radio Ireland on Apple, Spotify or YouTube. Until then, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, as always, take care. Thank you for listening. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.